Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Blue White Illustrated live postgame show on YouTube presented by On3. He is Thomas Frankar. I am Tom Hannafin. Penn State, number 14 in the country, takes out Maryland in a 30 to nothing game that really was over before it got started. Penn State literally ran away with this one in some inclement weather uh, that some people were not really expecting. Uh, and ultimately, uh, Maryland just did not bounce back from a really difficult loss last week to the Wisconsin yeah. Badgers. I think the way a lot of people expected, uh, I think plenty of people thought Maryland was going to put up more of a fight in this game. The physical limitations of Talia Tonga-Vailoa were evident in this game. However, hats off to Penn State. This was as thorough of a butt kicking as we've seen. I know maybe some people would like to have seen more points on the board, but defensively, this was outstanding from Penn State. And this guy was calling for it on his podcast, Pater to Penn State Football Show, to see Penn State consistently run the football. And they did a phenomenal job of that. So, T. Frank, thank you for throwing up uh, the logo of my show there with Matt McGoin. You can check it out on YouTube, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, T. Frank, what are your initial takeaways from this? Uh, well, it was 35 minutes of game time since anything meaningful really happened. <laughs> so, well, maybe maybe we're like 17. Um, you know, I, 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 I guess my takeaway is that I wasn't overly impressed with the game plan from Mike Yersich as far as, you know, the total balance of everything. Uh, there's a little bit, in, and we can get into this at any point you want to, but the, I felt like the passing game was a little bit um, feast or famine. There, there were some conceptual things they were doing from play action, heavy sets of, you know, two or three guys blocking at the line of scrimmage, reducing the number of players out in the routes, and it led to a frustrating day for Sean Clifford, who didn't play well, but I don't know that there were a ton of routes he missed through the, you know, after after the first quarter, I felt like things kind of ground to a halt in the passing game. Um, and, you know, this is also, by the way, going saying that we have not reviewed the film, haven't seen what we haven't seen yet. But first read, it felt like there was not as many open opportunities as Penn State's had in the past. Now, part of that is Maryland runs a heavy coverage system to keep a lid on everything. And I feel like there's a little bit of in the run game, they, they couldn't compete. But in the mm -hmm. passing game, they had a bead on what Mike Yersich likes to do, and they took a lot of those things away. So part of today, I think the frustration about Sean Clifford is palpable. But also, I, I do think after, I think, three or four brilliant game plans, this one was not at the top of the heap for Mike Yersich. The, the positive thing for me was the running game, obviously, and yeah. that Nick Singleton and Katron Allen and Tank Smith also down the stretch <laughs> having a lot of success. I was thrilled to see Tank Smith get in there because Kevon Lee is not available right now. So to be able to spell Allen and Singleton is great. So I, I thought that was nice to see down the stretch. But the running game was excellent. You got what you got out of the tight ends, which was outstanding. Uh, consistently, T. Frank, through the season, we've seen Penn State's wide receivers struggle a little bit against man, um, not necessarily being fantastic at getting separation. But I agree with you on the feast or famine mentality. It is not Sean Clifford's game to throw fade routes that are longer yeah. than 20 to 25 yards. And there were probably half a dozen or more of those in this game. Um, is, is that something from Mike Yersich that you think is simply there just to keep the defense honest? Or is it like, oh, no, they actually think they can hit these? Well, if it's the read, it's the read. You can't take that. You can't take that throw out of the, the playbook. Um, and by the way, who am I starting with? Oh, you know, I don't think that this was a very good game plan. And they scored 27 points before halftime. And I didn't yeah. mention Nick Singleton once in my opening remarks. So that is shame on me, the by worst. the way. Just shame, shame, shame. Uh, but, you know, to that question, um, 
you you've got to be able to throw those if they give them to you, right? So if you if somebody is in cover one or cover zero, which they went to a couple of times tonight, then um if that's built into the play and that's part of, you know, they take everything else away, maybe they deny the the primary read or whatever, you've got to be able to hit that shot. If they're gonna if they're gonna give it to you, you can't ignore it. Um, but at the same time, if they're giving that to you, you probably should find a new route you know what i mean like literally and figuratively you need a new path forward if you're getting put in a situation this happened a lot in 2020 i thought um going back in shades of that of they got forced into throwing things because that's what the defense was giving them but also it's because they you couldn't take anything else away from them um in this particular game though uh i don't think it was a man coverage thing as much as it was they were clogging the middle of the football field. And so the tight ends weren't a huge part of the game. They play a lot of cover four. So two deep safeties over the middle of the field, the middle linebackers were doing a good job of getting depth. And it, it took away what Penn state likes to do. Those throws that Clifford's really comfortable with. And this was kind of the plan from Indiana as well, force the passing game to the sidelines and you can get it to where it is, you know, to what we saw tonight. Um, I do want to remind everybody that if you want to get involved in the chat and in the super chat, uh, if you donate to the channel, your questions and comments will be highlighted and we'll address as many of those super chat donations uh, here. Don't while. encourage Blue Jay. Don't no, encourage I, him. I want to get to that in a second. <laughs> also, if you've not already uh, signed up and are a subscriber for Blue White Illustrated. I don't know what you're waiting for. It's just literally $10 for a subscription to Blue White Illustrated from now until the start of next football season. So head to on3.com and search Blue White Illustrated for the homepage to sign up today. I do want to bring attention to this because I, I will agree with Blue Jay that on talking on my podcast, Pater to Penn State Football Show with Matt McGloin, we expected a bit of a shootout. We expected Maryland to bounce back from Wisconsin because it's kind of what Mike Loxley teams have been good at is they can kind of sneak up on you at times. And yeah. It just seems like they fell fell asleep there in the second half. Uh, we talked about it a little bit. It seems like Talia Tagovailoa physically limited, really did not want to run, did yeah. not want to get out of the pocket. And couldn't. I think it was seven sacks that Penn State yeah. came up with. The, so what they were doing is they were, instead of keeping their rush lanes going up the field, which is one of the problems that they had with Jack Tuttle last week, this is kind of a copy and paste of last week's game plan in a lot of different ways because – these two offenses are are relatively similar in terms of they like to throw screens. Maryland does a couple more things than Indiana because they have more talent. Um, but every time Talia tried to break the pocket and run, so if he tried to run out the right side of the pocket, Abdul Carter was twisting from the other side, and he thought he was running into a running lane, but then all of a sudden there's there's a linebacker, there's a defensive end, and also Penn State was giving another thorough butt kicking to the offensive line they were facing. So um, it was a that's a good pass blocking unit too. That's the thing; they are decent, and Penn State made them look putrid. So this was the best game for a lot of guys in a while. Adisa Isaac, I thought, was thoroughly dominant in the game, um, and and really this game, why it was a wild card, and and, and I agree that. People were pretty off, I think, on the Maryland side, expecting Maryland to score some more points here because Talia is the offense. That is, he, everything runs through him and his decision-making under pressure has been very poor. And this is one of the things we talked about coming into this game. Snaps were an issue. The rain was an issue for this team and pressure up the middle. Those were all things that were on tape because of the freshman center and the redshirt freshman running backs. Penn State ate that alive today um, and led to... I didn't 
I didn't expect it to lead to zero points. I figured at some point Maryland would adjust, mm-hmm. but they never did. There was a point uh, made by the broadcast crew that late in the third quarter, I want to say with a minute left, um, that was the point where Maryland's offense had eclipsed uh, total yardage as opposed to total penalty yardage. Yeah. Um, it, it was really ugly altogether. Um, Stephen Light, thank you for hopping in. Uh, dear DMV recruits, happy values. I mean, Penn State's done a phenomenal job of just raiding Virginia and Maryland and getting a lot yeah. of talent. So uh, I completely agree with that. Um, I want to bring up a point here from uh, Tyler and kind of couple this with another point that's been brought up here. Um, for someone who talks so much about being bold and aggressive, James Franklin is conservative. With the quarterback situation, Diaz also locked up a head coaching job. Um, I kind of agree with the latter about Manny Diaz and that I'm sitting here as a Penn State fan hoping there's some sort of way Penn State can retain Manny Diaz long term. Uh, but I think it's been proven at this point, T. Frank, that the stink of the University of Miami uh, did not <laughs> follow him and that it truly yeah. stayed. And Mario Cristobal has got to be like, oh, this this stinks. Yeah. So with Franklin, I, I agree with this. He Here's my biggest issue is not just total reps in the game and not just getting reps in the third quarter or who you're getting reps with. It's also Drew Aller could have come into the game before halftime at that, at that two minute drive, get a, get a two minute drive in meaningful game action. The game yeah. is not in, there's no threat of Maryland coming back. Penn State gets the ball after halftime. You've already put up a, I think a, a touchdown before then. So, what are you afraid of here? And and James Franklin talked about these things at the beginning of the season. And that's where I think like the ideal of something he wants to do versus the actual reality of pulling the trigger is very different because he's unwilling to take the starting quarterback out until the game is out of reach. But I'll contend with Maryland had 27 total yards in the first half. I think mm-hmm. I have that right. Yes, 27 right. total yards. You had as many points as Maryland had yards. What's what is the danger of putting Drew Aller in that two minute drive in a game that is on the way to a blowout to get him reps at a two minute drill in quasi meaningful game uh, reps even if you want to bring Clifford out after halftime why does Sean Clifford need to operate a two-minute drill we've seen him do that for Mm -hmm. five years now so there that was the part that I had an issue with was was that drive in particular and then the start of the third quarter I get it if you want to come back out with your starter right but then Maryland is able to string something together and Aller only gets a couple of plays there before you put in Veyer and you go, you know, to the to the reserves and to the blowout sort of part of the game uh, late in the fourth quarter, unlike before where they only they brought Aller in and let him play the entire second half. So it's really that moment before halftime that I thought that's the one I disagree with, because if you're looking for game experience, he's played, he's run the offense, he's been on the field, but doing something like that, he hasn't had the opportunity to do that yet. Uh, a comment here by Mick Harmon. Um, are you guys concerned with Aller's accuracy? I want to couple that here with Michael Smith uh, highlighting through didn't play well. It's about decision making and frankly, I haven't seen him develop it yet. So um, again, it, it was a small sample size. But what did you yeah. think of what Aller did? Uh, the the one thing I've noticed with him consistently, and this is why I say like when we watch the, him at, in the fourth quarter of the Michigan game and uh, say 
we're not going to panic about this. We're just building a Rolodex of moments we can come back to. The pocket was muddy. He was not confident in his feet. And that confidence in his feet comes from a lack of confidence in his mind, right? So he there's there's pressure around his feet, and he doesn't throw well when he isn't in rhythm. So that's going to be something he has to work on. It's not just it's not necessarily off-platform throws, but throws with condensed spaces. And I, you know, I talked to his quarterback coach this offseason. That's something they practice. That's something that his whole mechanical development from where he was, uh, you know, kind of as a baseball thrower to what he is now as a modern day passer. It's all about being able to throw in condensed spaces, but there's, there's this leakage of, it almost looks like confidence. And I don't want to say he's not a confident football player, but he's not, he's not following through with his fundamentals when he's confident and he strides into the ball. I mean, you saw it at times this year and I, I think Purdue that mm-hmm. yeah, the, yeah, exactly. And, and the, um, uh, a couple other times this year, the Ohio game, he was very good. Even last week, I thought he was good when he was, you know, confident and in stride. And you saw all the good decision making he made during the end of the Indiana game. But when when he's sitting out there in the middle of the field reading it and there's some pressure in his face, I think that's where he tends to break down and revert to some bad habits. And that's just progress in coaching and being a freshman. Um, one thing I did want to bring up in regards to the quarterback play, I know everybody's looking at this evening and there's frustration with Sean Clifford, obviously, and then uh, some concerns with Drew Aller. The quarterback position wound up being 16 of 30 for 164 yards and a touchdown between three quarterbacks. So it's not really breathtaking. However, you yeah. did have uh, 249 yards rushing, which was Something that, you know, talking with Matt McGloin about this game, it made a lot of sense to just lean into the run and just hammer the ball at Maryland. And Mm -hmm. it was something we were concerned about coming into the game, and I know you focused a lot on it, is the revolving door along the offensive line. Um, An injury to Olufushanu, where he's week-to-week. Landon Tengwall was out for the season. Uh, Hunter Norzad was injured against Indiana, but obviously played, was a game-time decision. Drew Shelton started at left tackle, Bryce Effner at right tackle. Uh, how did you feel about what the O-line did today? <laughs> well, there there's a couple of runs where there wasn't much there, and they were still, still able to push for four yards. They were running into disadvantageous situations, and they're stable, still able to get some push. So to me, that tells me Salim Wormley is getting healthier. Bryce Effner is an underrated run blocker. When he goes up against NFL talent, he's not. I mean, he's going to struggle, right? So we saw during the Michigan game and during the Ohio State game last year and and teams that have guys that can match his competency, that's where he's going to struggle. But, you know, he's an excellent run blocker as a right tackle in college. So that right side has been a good combination. Uh, And then a shout out to the tight ends as well. The tight ends were doing a great job blocking both of Singleton's touchdown runs. You can can look at uh, Tyler Warren was doing a great job. Brenton Strange was doing a great job. And even Theo Johnson got a couple good blocks in there. Um, go back and review all of that and see kind of what we missed. But as far as the offensive line, I think a couple higher highs early in the game for Drew Shelton. But still, some mental mistakes, some freshman moves. I think this time he gave up one of his first true pressures where he's in pass protection, and I saw him lunging at a guy running around the corner. Usually when you see a dude's arms fully extended at the left tackle, it's not a great sign. So I saw one of those out of the corner of my eye when I was trying to review the game in the middle of the game. Um, But overall, the offensive line was good, right? I think pass protection was a little bit shaky tonight, 
but this was a game that I thought they did. They did their work on the ground and they found a dominant advantage against Maryland. One thing that I just loved was seeing an old school style of football. The commentators were trying to describe it, but it was a full house backfield. We've seen it utilized a couple of times now over the last few games by Mike Yurcich in the offense. And I personally loved it. And, and to see uh, Brenton Strange go back there, as you mentioned, he's probably the best blocking tight end that you have, but just two tight ends, one on either side, full house backfield with Singleton and Allen, and you have Strange in the center uh, as a lead blocker. And, and then you put Clifford under center. Yeah, I really like it. I want to see more of that. Not necessarily the entire offense, but that that worked to the point that <laughs> you had two now. you had two fourth and one long touchdown runs by Nick yeah. Singleton that you probably had no business getting those touchdowns. But to your credit, like Maryland just completely fell asleep and didn't really layer their defense, so it, it just added up there. But I don't know. I can think I there's you, a lot of encouraging stuff. Can I give you my favorite stat of the game, please? Please. Uh, and I, I couldn't help share this throughout the game. So if you follow me on Twitter, I apologize. You've already you've already seen this one. But uh, uh, Nick Singleton <laughs> had 72 yards rushing and two touchdowns on fourth down. That's more than uh, Roman Hemby. That is more than the total yardage when you take away all of the sacks for Maryland. He got all of that and more touchdowns, obviously, than Maryland had just on fourth down. He carried the ball 11 times for 122 yards. So the majority of his work came on the most critical, highest leverage situations, which again goes back to how well the offensive line and the tight ends were blocking in that formation. It got to the point that I was wondering, like, does Maryland watch film? Because it's not like anyone should be surprised that Penn State's running that formation on fourth down. Right. They, you know, they do it all the time. But then when I went back and watched it, they just got beat. Like they just thoroughly at each level of those runs there was a blocker who had a secure hold on his man, not a hold hold, but you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so Singleton was able to break it and then uh, stiff arm a guy for 20 yards on the second one to get the touchdown. I want to single out uh, Drew Shelton. How did you feel about what he did this evening? Cause there's been a lot of concern over red shirting to, as I mentioned, mm -hmm. the revolving door of some young players along the offensive line. They're trying not to burn red shirts, but they need people out there. What did you think about what Shelton did tonight? I tr so for the first half, pretty good. Um, I, I was trying to keep an eye on him throughout the game to see because this was an area that I was interested in with a week on of tape on him. What uh, what is Maryland going to do to try and attack that weakness? Um, and, and I apologize because like in the third quarter, once Drew Aller came in, I kind of was watching what Aller was doing. I didn't have a chance to review that. And then, you know, just. This is how the sausage is made. Once the game is out of hand and the backups come in, I'm starting to prepare this show so that we're ready to go right as the fourth quarter, the whistle blows, and we're here talking to you. So I don't have a full picture. But what I have from the first half is as a run blocker, he had some very good blocks. Uh, one of the things that Penn State was doing, as you saw, was attacking the perimeter on some of those pull plays where you're pulling Juice Scruggs and, uh, you know, another lineman or, or a tight end to get out on the perimeter and get blockers out on defensive backs. The key block on any of those is the down block that stops the defensive end from chasing to the outside. And Drew Shelton was that guy. And he did, I'd say two out of three times, he did a, a very good job. And then one time he got his butt kicked and then Catron Allen just made the guy miss anyway. So that's what I mean by higher highs. When you have those high leverage blocks that you're responsible for, 
he's athletic. He's mobile. He's a good run blocker. That's part of his profile is that he was great with leverage and drive and hip mobility and, you know, pad level, all the things that I'm a stickler about with high school linemen, because it's only, you know, it's only going to get more important as you go forward. And all of those things started to pop a little more. He was really great on combo blocks in the beginning of the game. But then as Maryland adjusted, I felt like as pass protector, I saw a couple of things leak through and, uh, and, and really, in the game as a pass protection situation, Penn state was going with these max protect looks a couple of times more than I expected. Uh, and that might just be what I'm keying on and not look taking a look at the full picture, but I, uh, you know, from, from a pass protection standpoint, pressure was a problem tonight. And I don't know if it was him. There was a lot of stuff on the interior as well. So that's something I got to go back and look at. What I take away from this is uh, everybody T Frank's uh, very busy. Uh, he, he works very, very hard. He is the workhorse <laughs> of Blue White Illustrated. And what you can really do to make him feel better is to hit the like button on this video because the almighty algorithm, as you put it, will also like that. It will like this channel and it will like Blue White Illustrated and Thomas Frank Carr as a result of that. And then he can be happy and bring you all the you know information you need. We have something for that. The almighty algorithm. And there it is. Thank you very much for that. Let's flip our attention from the offense to the defense because this was really, really good from the Penn State defense. And, they, and they've really rounded out into form as of late. And we were kind of talking yeah. about it. Somebody raised the point about Manny Diaz is going to be looking at a head coaching job next season. Um, very likely. I sincerely hope that they throw a whole bunch of money at him as part of the recent uh, stimulus package contract extension yeah. that James Franklin just got. You know, trying to retain Manny Diaz, I think is a really good choice. Um, looking at this, this defense got pressure with just sending four for most of the game. And I don't know if they've done that yet this season. How did you feel about it? So I liked the way they were doing it as well. Like I mentioned earlier with some of the stunts and the twists that they were doing to get uh, into the quarterback's running lanes and confuse him as to where the escape points in the pocket were. And that was a big change this week, I think, in in comparison to especially what we saw last week against Indiana. And then again, at some other times during the year where, you know, maybe the Ohio state, the Michigan game, they're trying to get home with four. They're just rushing up field. And those players in those one-on-one -on -one situations, those other players beat Penn state's defensive line. You had all of it here. I can count. And I was trying to pay attention, but again, it was like, you're reviewing what you're trying to see. Like what's, what is Maryland trying to do? What's Penn state trying to do? And then you kind of get to the key players on some situations, but I saw at least two or three Maryland offensive linemen on their ass during the game. And like chop Robinson put the right tackle on the floor. Abdul Carter ran over a running back to get a holding call on that tip pass, that miraculous pass mm -hmm. that uh, was almost a nice play for Maryland, but then wasn't. So that to me was the domination part is it wasn't just that this was what I thought a decent offensive line from a pass blocking perspective where they've got guys that aren't turnstiles and they turn those guys into that. Adisa Isaac, especially I thought had a, the best game of his season. He had that first sack, what I've been wanting to see from him is that first sack of you're going up against a, a, a tackle or an offensive lineman and you have to beat him. Not that there is an RPO or you get a stunt and you get a free release. He went through the tackle. He long armed the tackle, went inside and got a sack. Like that's 100% 
um, him being a better pass rusher than the other guy is a pass blocker. So that is a great sign. Chop Robinson played well. Abdul Carter was a star of the game. I know he already had the Auburn game, but this was a breakout game to me where he played not just well, you know, and made plays, but was in a football perspective, he was dialed in. He was making those plays because of his is where his mind is, not necessarily because he's fast and athletic and, you know, Auburn wasn't expecting him necessarily. He was making will linebacker starter. These are the plays you're hoping for in the future from an impact player shutting down Maryland's running game. So and it was more complex than than that that Auburn game. So to me, it was a breakout game for Nick Singleton. And we, we should talk a little bit more about Nick Singleton, too, and some of the things that he was doing and for Abdul Carter. And I know that both of those guys have already had breakout games, but they mm-hmm. were they were doing it the right way tonight. It wasn't that they were athletes. It's that their their mind was taking them to the football or to the end zone. Abdul was excellent. A lot of situations where he was spying uh, Talia Takavailoa. And we talked about some of the physical limitations that Talia had coming into this game. But still, Carter can accelerate so quickly. He got to the quarterback on both Oh, that was awesome. It was really good. Can I Go ahead. I, I want to eat. I want to eat a little crow first. And Michael Snyder, you're absolutely right. I was negative this week, and frankly, despite the record that Penn State has, there's been inconsistencies all season long. No game has been like the other. So yeah, I, I did think this would be more of a shootout. I was expecting Maryland to give a little bit more of an effort. Talia can be explosive. Obviously, yeah. his injury is worse than expected, and he was stuck in the pocket all night. So I'll definitely eat crow, but you know. I'm glad Penn State pulled out the win that they did. But anyway, you were about to say. <laughs> so I was just going to button up the Abdul Carter thing. He This is the second week in a row he's led the team in tackles. Seven total tackles, three solo, a sack, a tackle for loss, a pass breakup, two quarterback hits, and a forced fumble. And that play that you talked about, that's what I'm talking about when I when. So it's the it's the complete package now where Talia Tungavaloa breaks the pocket, right? And we mm-hmm. both know he's injured, but he's also still mobile. Like he yeah. was not a statue back there tonight. So when he breaks the pocket and Abdul Carter can cut the angle and turn what is going to be a scramble into a throwaway, that's difference making plays right there because the athleticism took over and he, they, they forced Maryland into those situations. So, yeah, uh, to me, this was the breakout game because it was a complete game from Carter um, in, in a lot of different ways. Uh, also on the defensive side of the ball was a chance to break out for a, you know a number of players in the secondary. I, I saw somebody in here saying, uh, yes, uh, Zaki Wheatley uh, needs to play more, in my opinion. Um, you saw some more faces in the secondary because it was said early in the broadcast that Joey Porter Jr. was not playing in this game. Uh, you and I were texting a little bit before uh, and that there's a reported injury potentially to Joey Porter Jr. during the week. Uh, so what did you think of the way the secondary played? And then what do you think of the future is for Joey Porter Jr.? Yeah, so just uh, to give credit where credit's due, uh, Nate Bauer, another reason that you want to be a part of Blue White Illustrated is Nate Bauer was on this early in the week. He was providing that information on the Lions Den message forum uh, shortly before the game. So we're giving you that inside information, and that's a reason to sign up for BlueWhiteIllustrated.com. Those 10 bucks go towards you being in the know, and being left out is the worst. Uh, but what was your question? I've already forgot it because I was doing my promo. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, obviously, A, what did you think of the way the other members of the secondary play today? And then B, what do you think uh, Joey Porter Jr.'s future is considering the NFL draft is looming? Yeah, I don't I don't know uh, that second part because it, it is like Rutgers, Michigan State, end of the season. If you've got something that is uh, a problem and you want to be cautious, 
it makes sense. He's he's put his film out there. I don't think that there's any question that he's had an excellent season. The past breakups, the suffocating coverage. I thought he performed well against Ohio State in that high leverage situation against Marvin Harrison Jr. There were some catches, sure, but he, again, was there and contesting and fighting them the whole way. Um, so to me, like just thinking about his profile, I think he's solid. If he wants to continue playing through an injury, that's a football thing to do. If it's something where he can't play through it and they want to be conservative and cautious because of those things, I don't think that that's, it could go either way to me. Um, but I think that if he can play and that it's not serious, I wouldn't, I wouldn't think that he's shutting it down now for something minor that isn't going to be like a long-term concern, if that makes sense. If it's something like it kept him out of this week, but he's going to be fine for the rest of the games. I don't think that that's going to necessarily be something that keeps him out uh, because of, because of that. Sure. And, and they played well, obviously Marquise Wilson, <laughs> Marquise Wilson struggled a little bit at times um, with some of the option plays and some contain, but he battled back and he played well. And Kalen King is awesome. And he continued to be awesome. So it was a game where the, the defensive line made it non-existent, non not even really a necessary conversation be like, uh Oh, Joey Porter Jr.'s not there. Cause he had no time to throw. Tali Tumbulo had no time to throw. Yeah. Yeah. It was said in the comments, but Kalen King was excellent. Um, I, I thought Johnny Dixon continues to be solid. Uh, you see a lot of uh, Zachy Wheely and Jalen Reed, uh, Keaton Ellis. I mean, there's a lot of bodies that get out there and let's not forget about Daquan Hardy. I think he's yeah. been a little bit lost in the mix just because there are a lot more secondary players that are fielded uh, by Manny Diaz than Brent Pry last season. You saw a more consistent uh, nickel look last year, whereas Daquan yeah. Hardy is just not seeing the field as much, but he is outstanding. So a lot of really good guys that got him. And he's game. so he's improved over the second half of the season. He hasn't played mm -hmm. as much, but in the moments he's been on the field, he hasn't been uh, you know a problem for Penn State where he was early in the year. Uh, and, and that's part of it. Uh, the other the other half of it is they played a lot of run teams for a while. Like they were heavy into some of these heavy run formations and, and 40 runs a game. So he took in the middle of the season, you're not going with your nickel look or your dime look where he comes on the football field. So it's a little bit of both. But uh, in his absence, they've, you know, Jalen Reed has kind of evolved that slot position. Uh, you know, as as the other guys have as well. They've been using Jalen Reed a lot lately in single coverage, and that's something I've noticed as the season has gone on. They've done more and more with him there, I think, as he's gotten a little more mature from that redshirt freshman. Now he's a full-on two years in the program. And Tig Brown was everywhere, and that's kind of to be expected. <laughs> you mean Tigger? Yeah, that was uh, said on the broadcast a number of times, and um, I feel like there was maybe a gap in somebody's research. I don't know. <laughs> for the record, as someone who's done play-by-play -play for a number of years, if you hear somebody consistently referencing the number of the player in their hometown, it means they don't know who that person is, and they're yep. referencing a call sheet consistently, so they're living through their spotter. I so I, I, I this is all I'm going to say because that hard that job is so hard. I mean, the reason I'm here talking to you on the internet and not trying to be a play-by-play -play broadcaster <laughs> like Mr. Tom Hannafin is because it's too hard. I don't, like, it's just too hard. But I can tell, Tom, when guys aren't preparing. I You can hear it when guys are not doing their homework and when they haven't actually looked at the teams or have any reference points. And when they're talking about, ah, you know, this thing that happened 20 years ago, that's the last time they were paying attention to Penn State football. If you paid attention in the past week, so that's all I'll say. That 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 I care about effort. 
Let's get back to the Super Chat because we have great effort from our fans. Uh, Larry saying, uh, there isn't a more improved Big Ten team than Penn State. Uh, tell me I'm wrong. I'll wait. Since the Michigan game, this team is different. It's evolving. What do you think? Yeah, I, the offense was the issue, right? And and let's talk about that Michigan game. So uh, Larry brings up a good point about evolving. Maryland tried to do that to Penn State. Their running game, the plan early was make Penn State's linebackers exchange gaps. So they're pulling, they're counters, they're doing a bunch of the things Michigan was doing. But the, the whole point was, A, Michigan is better than we all thought and expected. And B, they're better than Maryland. And they also caught Penn State off guard doing something different than what everyone was expecting coming into the game as far as scheme. Penn State's buttoned up those issues. So the linebackers had no problem exchanging gaps, running to the sideline. And that's what I mean by Abdul Carter of this game. Maryland does do those things and they have challenged other teams in the past, but Penn State's defense is too dominant when they know what to do and what to expect. And when they, when Maryland came out and tried to do those things that everyone has tried to do since that Michigan game, Penn State's locked it all down. And, and that's been an impressive evolution, not just from the individual players, but from the, the, team as a whole that front seven has really grown up from think all the way back to the the game against Purdue where King Daru and the Purdue offense is running for 50 yards that they shouldn't have gotten mm -hmm. and now you've got Maryland having negative yardage for most of the game that is absolutely growth and evolution so so Larry's correct and I I agree with that especially since the Michigan game they have really focused in on those things and they have taken them away effectively with this defense David, a regular hopping in, calling the second half a joke, uh, should have hung 40-plus uh, on Maryland. Uh, I assume you mean let Drew Aller throw if he's going to play useless second half. Uh, to a degree, uh, T. Frank, yes, you'd like to see the young quarterback get in there and throw, but you also have to play the moment. What do you think? Um, yeah, pregnant pause because I don't really, I, I don't have a great Typically answer. You have to do some situational <laughs> play calling. You can't just be like, it's this isn't Madden where it's just like all goes or something like that because Drew yeah. in the game. So, you know? so let's address, we've given Penn State a lot of credit so far in this game. Maryland secondary. This is something that was was something I didn't have a good read on this team because I saw them doing a lot of good things, but I, I it's more of a sum of the parts, I guess, is I don't see a ton of, super great players, but they're all pretty good working together. The linebackers aren't great, but they're not terrible. They got to the proper drops and their proper depth. They took away passing lanes. Uh, and I, like I said, I don't think the Penn State had a great passing a plan coming into the game because Mike Yersich is pretty aggressive wanting to go down the field. Um, so there's two things that about this game that I'll say about the passing attack. Sean Clifford was struggling getting some of those throws over the middle getting those throws, as I said, over the linebacker before the safety. They were not hitting those. The The painful overthrows were because he was trying to get the ball, layering it over a linebacker. And it's just not a throw he's very good at. Um, so Maryland's defense in the secondary has been playing good all year. And could Penn State beat them? That was one of my questions coming to this game is could Penn State? That's why I thought it could be close is because if Tunga Valoa goes off and has some of those wild card plays, this team is good at keeping a lid on everything. And so they played two deep safeties. Penn State ran the football, made them pay for it, but could never really run them out of it to get those big explosive passing plays, including in the second half with Drew Aller. 
And so part of this is scheme and what you were getting from Maryland. Maryland refused to come out of that, that kind of shell. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, this is a general assessment. You know, they were obviously playing man coverage and cover zero and cover three and cover one. And, but kind of the, the overarching theme is they keep a lid on things in obvious passing situations so that they can make you work for it and earn it. And Penn state was not capable of doing that today. And that's where, you know, when I go back and I watch this, I'm going to watch, okay, what are they, what is Penn state running? Are they expecting certain things from Maryland? Did Maryland do something different that even maybe I'm describing it incorrectly now, but there was a disconnect in the passing game. I believe from a play calling perspective downward. So in that situation, and you're just not clicking, throwing the ball, it's starting to rain. I I think the last thing you want is Drew Aller to get hurt or any of those things. And And so if it's just not happening tonight, it's not happening tonight. So I agree that it did feel like a wasted second half. That's kind of what I started saying when we got Mm -hmm. on the show is like, I don't remember anything that happened for the last 20, 20 minutes of the game. And the previous 15 was all field goals. So, Mm -hmm. you know, the interesting things happened in the first two court, the quarter and a half. And then we all sat there and watched until the game was over. Yeah, I saw somebody call it an extended kneel down lambda. I think in the comments <laughs> section. And hey, Jake Pinniger had the best game of his career. Uh, a lot of field goals that I get concerned about Jake's range beyond 40, 42 yards. And he got in there and he did a real nice job in some nasty conditions. Obviously, trying to kick in the rain is not easy. Uh, James, I want to thank you for getting involved in the chat. Liam Clifford needs to play more. Uh, Liam Clifford Ooh. had one catch tonight. Looked good on his mm-hmm. reception. He had a bunch against Indiana. What do you think about Liam? He was in the game early, too. And this is one of those situations where I'm watching Liam Clifford run some drag routes against his own coverage. And, like, Parker, uh, uh, Sean, his brother throws it to um, Nick Singleton, who drops the football. And it's like, did you, did you decide you were throwing to Singleton here and you didn't come off your second read to find an easier pass to a guy that you know is going to catch the football. I've liked Clifford independent, uh, you know, of his last name since high school and watching his film. He was a very good route runner in high school. Uh, He's continued that. My concern was maybe his transition skills. He's a big bodied slot receiver. Was he going to be able to separate enough, but he's looked a little bit quicker. um, And he's, he's a good route runner. The reason he hasn't played more is because the guy in front of him is Parker Washington. Mm -hmm. And, you know, until Parker can play on the outside, and you can play Clifford on the inside because I think that Clifford is purely a slot guy. You've got two guys that are purely slots, and, and you're not going to be able to play both those guys and the tight ends and Tinsley. And so, like, if he could beat out one of those other receivers on the boundary, but he doesn't have the skill you need of speed. So he's a good player. He's going to find a role in the offense next year, absolutely. And I'm, uh, you know, it, it's pleasing to see that all these things you saw on film before are actually starting to show up on the college level. And he's get you know good route runner, good hands. I think he's gonna be a very dependable receiver for Drew Aller or oh, can, whomever maybe is the quarterback next year. It's gonna be true. Well, and considering the number three receiver is kind of just like waiting for somebody to take that spot. Yeah, who knows? And Liam Clifford is listed at 6'1", 200 pounds. So I mean, that guy in the slot feels pretty he's good. Big. Like in person, so seeing him in practice, like he's the thickest dude they have at receiver. So Mm -hmm. he's a physical presence. I think he plays bigger than he is. Um, I want to see more contested catch situations for him because I think that can be an advantage for him. I think he's going to have that, you know, that beef and that size to go over the middle and play that role in that game. 
I think I, I'm interested to see what he is in the future. This is not to overplay him, by the way. So he is going to be a role player in the future. They still need to have all the other guys that we know uh, and we've had our eye on this year to break out next year to have a complete passing attack. But I think he can be a valuable piece as long as there are the other guys to, you know, carry the load as the main receiver. I want to thank Showtime 53 for a sizable donation to the channel. Uh, Showtime. Good evening, very, very uh, gentlemanly coming into the chat. Explain the coaching penalty, please. For those of you that didn't see yes. it, there was an unsportsmanlike penalty called on James Franklin, I believe, in the first half. Uh, and James Franklin uh, got a warning that if he had another one, he'd be ejected from the game. He looked rather ticked on the on the sideline to the point that they got him on camera doing 15 push-ups uh, yeah. as a, a self penalty some penance i guess um is there anything that you're aware of through the fabulous blue white illustrated network of what actually happened because they didn't really say on the broadcast why he got the penalty so this is all context clues uh so the the play that he got the the play before he got the penalty so the play happens the dead ball he gets the penalty um brenton strange was supposed to be running in and uh flat route and he was doing, you know, the play action where he fakes a block and then he runs his route. But the defensive end was holding him. So they wanted defensive holding. And and my the context clues is here that it happened more than once. And I'm going to go back and that's something I'm looking for as well of part of the play action passing game not working super well might have been that Rutgers was getting away with a lot of holding. And James Franklin and Sean Clifford and Brenton Strange had brought it up a couple times of, hey, watch for this and then they never called it so then franklin goes over the line gets the penalty and then does the push-ups that's my read of the situation based on the the kind of what happened in sequential order and it was like it was he had him by the he had him by the shoulder pads strange was trying to disengage and the only thing he didn't do was the thing that we all do now to get a penalty which is throw his hands up and flop he just didn't do that part to try and get the call I'm sure somebody will ask uh, in the post-game press conference. I'm sure somebody, if nobody asks in the post-game show, will certainly ask uh, at James Franklin's Tuesday press conference. So I'm sure we'll get his side of the story, or we might get absolutely nothing because that's kind of how James one of those, operates. I don't want to get fined sort of situations. <laughs> you know, you can't talk you can't talk bad about the refs in public, so he might not get into a lot of detail there. But of course, if he does, you can check it out here on the YouTube show as soon as we're done. Blue White Illustrated here on YouTube. We have James Franklin's full postgame press conference uh, live from Beaver Stadium. And uh, you can check that out once we're done here. But don't go anywhere because we're going to talk about more stuff. Yes, we have more stuff. Um, I do want to come back to a point you were making before because I know you wanted to talk a little bit more about uh, the running back, specifically Nick Singleton. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it looked like they took Katron Allen's eyeballs and implanted them in Singleton's head because <laughs> one, I, I wouldn't say that Singleton had bad vision before, you know, as, as far as he, he wasn't always burying his head at the first read, but he wasn't seeing more he wasn't seeing the field and anticipating things so that he could find the lane when his blocks were set up properly and he came out and ripped it i mean confidence um de decisiveness and being right and there was a certain lean about his running style that was different like tom would you describe him as an upright runner for most of what you've seen here or am i off on that um, for most of the season, I would agree with that. And this game, especially his second fourth and one touchdown, 
lowering the shoulder and then also keeping the legs moving, just lifting them just so we could yeah. muscle himself over the goal line. There was a lot more of that downhill. You know, I hear that cliche a lot, but he was very good yeah. about that today. So I guess the, the thing I am, uh, he's had a very sprinter sort of running style where he'll lower his shoulder into guys, right? But if he's trying to hit a home run, he's upright. He's got that kind of upright stride like he's a sprinter because that's a part of his background. This game, he was more mobile because I feel like he was running more like a running back. His hips felt looser. He was able to cut better. I know a thing that a lot of people have talked about this year is that he's he's a little robotic, right? So he's a little upright. He's a little bit stiff. He doesn't break as many tackles. He was breaking tackles, not just by running dudes over, but by, you know, cutting subtle movements to like subtle, confident movements in his running style. And that unlocked everything. I th the reason I've been saying that he needs to get bigger is if he's going to run upright, you need to be able to just power through anything. But if he runs like that for the rest of his career, like he's good because that's what he needed. Like that is the, the change in the style and the change in his sort of mentality. When you combine his tenacity to lower the shoulder, think about how many dudes he crushed in the first in the first quarter mm -hmm. where he just lowered his shoulder and he's again running behind his pads and, and not lowering his head so he can see, but lowering his shoulder and then being able to run through guys and run around guys and set up his blocks. Well, again, it to me, this was a coming. This is a breakout game for him because he did all the little things right. And then the athleticism, kind of like a quarterback, when the arm strength takes over because you're making good decisions and you're throwing the ball accurately, and then you throw it into a tight window and everyone loses their mind. To me, that's what I saw from Singleton is, look at that cutback. Because it was vision, it was anticipation and athleticism, and then the explosiveness to hit it and get 10 yards. Mm -hmm. And then to rip off the 40-yard runs. This was a complete game for me, watching him run the football. And that was very encouraging. The offensive line is doing a lot, and this was not a good defensive line from a run perspective tonight. So there's some caveats to that, but outside of those things, Singleton was great. Lowering the shoulder, hinging at the waist more, yeah. and just taking advantage of what the defense was giving him. I thought Singleton was great. I thought Katron looked really, really good as usual. Um, one thing that they yeah. uh, I saw on social media is that Penn State's only had two freshman running backs ever rush for a thousand yards in their history. It's been Saquon Barkley and DJ Dozer. Once upon a time, uh, there is a very good possibility that Nick Singleton joins that company. And if something happens for Katron Allen, who's just a little bit behind Nick in terms of rushing yards, you could have yeah. two freshman thousand yard running backs in the same season, which is pretty astounding coming into this year and i thought this comment here by joseph was very apropos that first game against purdue you saw some good things but you're still kind of like are these guys for real there's a lot of yeah. hype behind both allen and singleton and the maturation the evolution of the running back position and, and the team as a whole you know I, 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 yeah i can be mr negative and i definitely have my doubts coming into this season but the evolution has been very very evident to you frank yeah, think about so this this game felt like kind of a uh, it's funny that this game wasn't the end of the season because it felt like a season finale in a TV show where all yes. of these threads from the beginning of the season, the middle of the season all came together in what you know, I understand why David's frustrated because it felt like this should have been a 50 to nothing game. Um, and, and it would have been obviously a higher score if you don't run Cl Sean Clifford at the goal line to try to get a touchdown. Uh, and then you settle for a field goal like this could have been 38 to nothing. It, it would have felt a little bit different if you didn't have some of those field goals mixed in there at the end. Um, but 
they started with those heavy formations again. They went back to two tight ends, bringing Parker Washington, trying to hit to the outside. But unlike at the beginning of the season, everyone's a little better. Catron Allen, the hesitation step, breaking the tackle of the of the uh, safety or the corner that's diving in inside that block, and that opens up a huge running lane, and he gets 10 yards, basically 10 free yards, because the, the defense gave up contain. And then you got Nick Singleton breaking off these big runs like he did in the middle of the season against Auburn and Ohio. And uh, you even had the Sean Clifford game mixed in the middle, right? So you got a little bit of everything of all these things. Plus the, the, the tight ends are blocking better. Some of the new formations. I love that two fullback situation they got going on. Mm-hmm. It prov- So you've got here. Here are the advantages. Let me nerd out for a second. And I know I, I monologue all the time, but he, here's why this is so great. When those guys are lined up on the line of scrimmage, they can do a couple more things in the passing game, but they can do far fewer things in the run game. And you can still access the passing game when they're lined up at fullback, but it disguises your run, your what you want to do in the run game. So you can have the offensive line blocking to the left. Both those guys go to the right. And then you've got either a, you know, a cutback in a zone or it's a man blocking situation or it's an RPO and you've got one of those guys releasing into a flat. It gives you so much disguise in the running game and provides balance. One of the things I love about what Mike Yersich does to the T formation, to this formation, is it provides disguise and balance. So you don't have a tell of where they're going to run before the run is set up. And that level of ambiguity gives you an advantage, gives the offensive line an advantage, gives the running back an advantage, and it gives the play caller an advantage. So these are the things that I've loved the evolution. Going back to Larry's point about this team has gotten better. The, the play calling, you know, I know that I had some qualms with it tonight, but it's been better over the second half of the season. Mm-hmm. The formations have been creative. They've done all these things to find advantages and help these young players and their quarterback get through this season. And and the last thing I'll say about this is if you want to bring this whole thing full circle, this is the same style of team where Sean Clifford was 10 into as a starter, his first year in 2019 carried by Noah Kane and journey Brown and a good offensive line. They lost a couple of close games where it was back and forth. And then, uh, you know, they went into a bowl game and they were able to win that bowl game. This feels so much like that team, but different in the, in the sense of uh, the future's bright <laughs> because the, the Clifford train is over. Drew Aller is a five-star. It feels like 2019, obviously heading into 2020, little bit different. Some, some little thing happened there that, you know, blew up the whole thing. But it, it just it's a fascinating ex- examination of Sean Clifford's time at Penn State because it is bookended by what possibly could be you still got to get it to the finish line two 10 and two seasons that look so similar because of the offense around him and a really strong chance to end the regular season 10 and two Michigan State beat Rutgers today by a score of 27 to 21 and those are ironically the two remaining opponents yep. for Penn State in the regular season next week uh, it's at Rutgers for the Penn State Nittany Lions so we'll see if they can keep these wins building uh, just one more time. I want to let anybody know if you're not already a subscriber to blue white illustrated, you can subscribe now for just $10 between now and the start of next season. You can head to on three.com and search blue white illustrated for the homepage to sign up. Um, if you like my ramblings, you can check out Penn uh, Pater, a Penn state football show, a podcast with myself and former Penn state quarterback, Matt McGloin, which is available on YouTube, Apple podcasts, Spotify, 
tune in wherever you get your podcast. I want to thank you all so much for jumping in here in the chat. Uh, interesting win, uh, dominating win, a little bit concerning, but at the same time, a lot of positivity to take away from this. What, what, one second. I, I got to get your I got to get your views on this game a little bit. You know, I've been sitting up here for 50 minutes talking and I appreciate you having so many interesting questions and all that stuff. But g- give me the the early preview of what you're going to be giving on the Pater podcast, which I know you're going to be getting the post game show out pretty soon after this. So, you know, what are your talking points for your show that people can get later? Yeah, it was something that Michael Snyder had mentioned in the comments section. I was definitely negative coming into this game, thinking that this was a losable game for Penn State. I don't think I was alone in that, considering the way that Maryland had played through most of the season. I was not expecting the Terrapin team to play this badly. This was really surprising for them to not rebound off the Wisconsin loss the way that they did. Uh, So this was very encouraging. Kind of like you said, that first half was excellent. To, to see Penn State win on defense with just four rushers, they've not done that all season long. It's something we've talked about on the podcast that there's really only two or three guys on the Penn State defense that can win on skill alone and without scheme. And granted, the scheme played a factor, but I was really encouraged to see what Manny Diaz dialed up throughout this game. I don't think any quarterback for Penn State really did anything eye-opening today, and I think you can you know look at Sean Clifford and be frustrated by that. God knows I've been for a long time, but I called for Penn State to line up under center and run the ball. And what has been dominating the comments section tonight (laughs) is the full house backfield formation, which I would love to see a lot more of because it's that old school style of football. It's that old school Penn State style of football. It limits what uh, Clifford has to do. It can help him in play action and it leans on your strengths. So I'm very happy about it. I know Matt McGloin is going to be happy about it. So hopefully you guys will tune in and we'll try and get that show up in uh, a matter of hours. I'm going to record that in a few minutes. Can I say one more thing about the tone of, I think even where I started in this game and where a lot of fans are now Mm. appreciate wins when you get them appreciate Mm -hmm. this win the way it happened to embarrass Maryland to embarrass Maryland like I understand that there weren't as many points as you wanted but zero points pitched a shutout in this game Um, because I get the sense that Penn State fans are only watching this team to see Drew Aller So like fast forward through the first half, don't care what Sean Clifford does. I'm going to hate most of it because all I want to see is Drew Aller. And there's a sense of being cheated in this game because you didn't get to see 15 play and throw the football a lot. And I just want to, that's what the freshman dominated our conversation today, right? Mm -hmm. Abdul Carter breakout game, Nick Singleton, different animal tonight. Katron Allen, Drew Shelton, this team is preparing and, and all the things you're hoping for, they're setting the table right now for that next year. And I think that that is something that you can't overlook. And even on the defensive side of the ball, Zane Durant was more involved in this game. Um, you know, I think Zaki Wheatley guys are want to see him more. I think they're using him creatively because there were some times early in the year where he's getting those interceptions but he's wrong in the defense. Like he is, he's breaking the rules to go get an interception. And I don't know what, what the situation is. That's just my observation. And he has seen fewer snaps as the, as this has gone on, as the season has gone on, but they're using him in sub packages very well. 
and he's a very talented football player that is going to get better, and he's going to be a key player next year. Kalen King looks excellent. Like, this is all setting up the way you want it to. If you're only focused on 15, and you're only focused on the quarterback, as much as we're obsessed with him, and I don't blame you, I just want to give the, my one final parting note is take advantage and, and appreciate all of those players playing well, too. Because ultimately, it does matter most about the quarterback. But one game in November in a blowout is not going to determine whether or not Drew Aller is successful or not next year. There are thousands of practice reps to come. There are spring games, bowl games, the final two games. Like Penn State is going to be in a situation where they can blow out the next two teams as well. So Drew Aller playing almost every single game and seeing a lot of time over the next couple of weeks. I understand the hesitation, the frustration. I gave you the parts where I was frustrated as well, but don't let that sour. What was a good win for Penn State football? There were a lot of people, myself included coming into the season that speculated it could be a six and six year, a seven and five year or an eight and four year to be sitting at eight and two, potentially going to 10 and two and potentially going to new year six bowl game. I'm very grateful for that. So We'll leave it at that. Uh, he is Thomas Frank Carr. I am Tom Hannafin. Hopefully you'll join us next Saturday for Penn State versus Rutgers, the live postgame show as the Nittany Lions head to Piscataway. So thank you once again for tuning in, and we'll see you next time right here on the Blue White Illustrated YouTube channel.